You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Good morning, church. Man, so excited to be with you today. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Tommy, and I have the privilege and the honor of serving as your Connections Pastor here at Charity And I'm so pumped to be able to dig into God's word with you today. Thank you, Pastor Marty, for once again having Pastor's Choice, where we take a few weeks over the summer, and you're going to hear from every single teaching pastor uh, that we have here on staff. And I don't know about you, but Pastor Marty just alluded to it, man, hearing from Jacob and Fisher in those first two weeks and seeing that next generation uh, have such a great grasp of Scripture and deliver those messages has been such an encouragement and a blessing. So, uh, man, thank you uh, for being here. I was thinking about what in the world am I going to speak on? Because we, Marty gives us free reign to speak on whatever we want. And I said, what if I could give one message? And it was the last message I ever gave. What would it be on? And it's what I'm going to talk about today, because I believe that in life, there are pivotal circumstances, pivotal moments in our life that allow us to see things different, uh, open up new realities to us, and it's just a game changer forever. I'll give you an example. How many people here this morning remember when the movie Jaws came out? Anybody? 1975, and how that one movie forever changed beach going here in America. My parents said, man, it was wild, Tommy. You would go to the beach. There would be hundreds, if not thousands of people on the beach, and yet there would be nobody in the water. It opened up new realities to us, and and it wasn't so much Jaws for me, but it was Shark Week for me. Shark Week converted me. It converted me from an ocean dweller to what I call a lake guy. Unsalted, no sharks. It was eye-opening to me. And the scripture that we're going to examine today and kind of launch out of had that same impact. I believe that the passage that we're going to start with today, quite frankly, is the, the scariest couple of verses in scripture. And I remember when I read it and it came to life and I understood what it was saying, it forever changed my life. I could not sleep for a couple of weeks or not good sleep. And I wrestled and I tossed and turned. It was almost like God was saying, what are you going to do about it? And I decided years ago, based on this passage of scripture, forever changing me, that regardless of what I ever do vocationally, I'm going to spend the rest of my life pointing people to the truth. And the truth has a name and his name is is Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not, we are living in the midst of a pandemic. And I'm not talking about COVID. We're living in the midst of a pandemic that is far scarier than COVID. It has been around a lot longer than COVID. In fact, I would say it's been around thousands of years and Jesus addresses this pandemic Head on. Jesus, in the scariest verses in Scripture, wrapping up his message, the famous Sermon on the Mount. Maybe this is Jesus' altar call, which sounds a little different than a lot of pastors today. Jesus just hits people right between the eyes, and Jesus 
says these sobering words. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And look at this word. He says, on that day, many. It does not say on that day, few. On that day, some. But on that day, when people stand before Christ, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I want you to pay attention to their resume. The resume that they're presenting to Jesus. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I believe that those are the scariest few verses in Scripture. And the reason why is because Jesus is not talking to a bunch of hoodlums when he says this. Jesus is talking to a bunch of church people can we all agree it said that we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, performed many miracles in your name? I just am here to tell you this morning, if you're on the casting out demons team at church, you're on the varsity team. These were the heavy hitters. And yet these are the very people that Jesus looked at and said, depart from me, I never knew you. And so out of that, I want us to examine some scripture today because I believe that there is absolutely evidence of whether or not we have true fellowship with Christ. There's evidence of our faith. But the enemy does not want you to be assured of your faith. Satan is referred to in Revelation 12, verse 9. It says, Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. He is the master deceiver. And I am convinced that a couple of ways he wants to deceive people is he wants those who are in genuine fellowship with Christ to doubt their salvation, to not ever have assurance of their salvation. And even worse, he wants those who are not genuinely saved to have a false sense of security that they're gonna hear the words one day, well done, good and faithful servant, because those are only our only two options. You're either in fellowship with Christ and you will hear the greatest words in history, well done, good and faithful servant, or many will hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. And thinking about pandemics, vaccine's a big thing, right? You gotta get vaccinated, gotta get vaccinated. And I believe here in America in particular, we've done a scary job of vaccinating people from the truth that they get just enough of the real thing to keep them from actually allowing the truth to penetrate their heart. So my prayer all weeks, we were singing that song, Believe For It, is that today, this morning, God will perform a miracle, that he will break the unbreakable heart, and today people will go from death into life. And so what do we do with this sobering news that many will stand before Jesus and hear those words. Well, the apostle Paul tells us what we need to do. Writing to the church of Corinth, Paul says this, that we are to examine yourselves to see whether you were in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, 
unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So we're going to take a test this morning. Aren't you glad you came to church? You're like, man, it's summertime. I'm not supposed to be in school. But this morning, we're going to take the most important test of our lives, and I believe eternity hangs in the balance. We're going to examine ourselves, and we're going to see if there's evidence in our lives. Can I tell you something? Jesus says that if you want to follow me, you must be born again. There's dramatic things that happen at birth, and there is evidence of that. You know, if if this morning the intro video would have played, Pastor Marty would come, he put this podium up, the TV was here, and all of a sudden I just wasn't up here. A couple minutes goes by, and you start thinking, where's Tommy? couple more minutes, and all of a sudden, I walk from behind the stage, and I'm like, man, I am so sorry. You're not going to believe what just happened. I had to use the bathroom before, before the message. So I came out from the bathroom. I turned the corner, and right in front of me was a grizzly bear. It was scary. That grizzly stood up on its hind legs. It took a swat at me, smacked me right across my face, threw me on the ground, and started mauling me. It was all I could do to wrestle that thing off. But don't worry. I wrestled it off, drove it into the woods, we're good. You would probably say, this guy is crazy. Because there would probably be some evidence of that, don't you think? There'd be some evidence if I got mauled by a bear. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that rebirth, when Jesus performs a miracle and takes somebody from death to life, is more dramatic than if you got attacked by a grizzly bear. And so that there should be some evidence in our lives, and we should have assurance of our faith. This isn't a faith where we're supposed to go through life wondering, are we good? Are we good enough? Well, the answer is in and of ourselves, no, we are not good enough. Even our righteous deeds, Isaiah says, are like filthy rags before the Lord. But if you're genuinely in fellowship with Christ, we should have confidence in that. And so the apostle John actually writes a letter, an epistle, his first epistle, and the reason he writes it is this. He says, I write these things to you, meaning the things that you read in the first four chapters, as well as what you're going to read the remainder of this little letter, to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, and I love this, so that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. That word know shows up 40 times in this short epistle. And so if you're in genuine fellowship with Christ, we should know it. And so there are three areas that I want us to examine our own lives. I don't want you to examine your neighbor. This is a look in the mirror and examine your own heart. The three areas that we're going to examine today is who do you say Jesus is? Has your relationship with sin changed? And has your love for people changed? Now, just to give you a little background and context is why John wrote this epistle so that we may have assurance of our faith and that we are in genuine fellowship with Christ is there was some heretical teaching going on during that time by a group of people uh, known as the Gnostics, Gnosticism. And they denied all of these things. And John addresses them head on. So first of all, they did not believe Jesus was who he says he is. They believed that They weren't sure if he was actually in physical form or if the spirit descended on him um, at baptism and then left him before the crucifixion, which flies right in the face of our Christian faith. We believe the hypostatic union that Jesus is fully God 
and fully man. 100% God, 100% man, and that is what allowed him to be the perfect and the permanent sacrifice for our sins. He is fully man, and so he struggled with every single temptation that you and I struggle with. But led by the Spirit, he lived a sinless life. But he's also fully God, and he claimed to be God. He said, he is the living water. He is the bread of life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the religious leaders despised him because of that. They called him blasphemous. And they put him on the cross and they crucified him before. But on the third day, when God raised his son from the dead, in that moment, that was God's affirmation that Jesus is who he says he is and he can do all he said he would do. And that is foundational to our faith. But then also, they believe that this world was all about, it was broken up into the spiritual world and material world. And what happened in the material world just didn't matter. Meaning that you could live any way you wanted to, you could look like the rest of the world, and at the end of the day, it did not matter. That flies right in the face of what Jesus taught. And then finally, the Gnostics, the root word there is gnosis, which means to know. And they believed that they had some special revelation which puffed them up and they became prideful. And so they looked down their noses at other people. Well, Fisher was, you know, clear last week. It's by grace that we're saved, not, through, not of our works, so that none of us may boast. Man, if you're a true follower of Jesus, we should not live lives marked by pride or boastfulness. And so the first question is, who do you say that Jesus is? It's important Jesus asked this question himself. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? He had just finished talking to a large crowd, many again, many, and that crowd left. And so he looked at the disciples that were remaining and he says, who do you say I am? And then Simon Peter correctly answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's affirming what God is affirming in Jesus when he raised Jesus from the dead. And the only appropriate response is to say, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are Lord of my life. And then the apostle John writes this in 1 John. He says, by this we may know, I love that word, 40 times, that you may know, that you may know, that you may know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Man, if you call on the name of the Lord, his spirit indwells in you. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. To be in true fellowship with Christ means that he is at the center of your life. He's at the center of your life. Jesus is not an add-on. Way too often, I believe, people want to, hey, I said a magic prayer. I'll just put Jesus on the bookshelf, and if times get rough, I'll just pull him off the bookshelf, and I'll call on him when I need him. No, no. Jesus demands lordship in our lives. Being true fellowship means he is at the center of your life, and every single aspect of your life flows from that truth. He does not want to be an add-on. He wants to be lord of your life. He wants us to be totally dependent on him in every area 
of our life. And that's why I love one of the words that Jesus uh, uses in Matthew 18. Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says to come to him with childlike faith. You know something that all children have in common? Total dependency. That's what kids have in common. Total dependency. They fully rely on their parents. And that's what Jesus demands of us. That we come to him with childlike faith, surrendering every aspect of our lives. And then here's another way to see if you're marked as a true believer. I love this. We just sang about it. Sean and Marty both talked about it in that first song. John writing the epistle says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. How many of you are excited about being reunited with Jesus? of seeing him the way he is. Well, that is a mark of a true follower of Christ. That you have great anticipation. I've shared this story before, and I believe that it was one of the most powerful things I've ever witnessed, and I will remember it till the day I die. One day we're sitting at church, and many of you remember Jim White, one of the greatest church members we've ever had here. And he thought he was doing well. And all of a sudden he got bad news that there was nothing else they could do for him. That he had a couple of days left to live, maybe a couple of weeks at best. And we get that phone call, hop in the car, go to the hospital. And you never really know how to walk into those situations. Like, I mean, what do you say to somebody who just got that news, right? Remember I walked in and I said, well, Jim, what's going on, my man? He looked up at me. And he had the biggest smile on his face and he had tears of joy running down his face. And he said, sounds like I'm about to meet my Jesus. I had goosebumps all over my body and I'm like, that is somebody who is greatly anticipating seeing Jesus as he really is and being face to face with him. So do you anticipate that reunion? Who do you say that Jesus is? Test number two is has your relationship with sin changed? And can I tell you this morning, our relationship with sin should be different. If you've been hanging around me any amount of time, you know this right here is my favorite verse in scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a brand new creation. Brand new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, the moment you fully surrender your life to Christ, the Spirit comes and dwells in you, and you are given a brand new nature. One of the coolest examples of this, the great pastor Charles Spurgeon once had an analogy he used, and he said, imagine at the back of this room, there was a giant wild pig, and somebody was holding that wild pig on a leash, and you're standing at the front of the room, and you're standing at a table, and one side of the table is a trash can full of slop, just full of trash and slop and yuck. And on the other side of the table is some of the finest food from all over the world. And you looked at the person holding the leash and said, let the pig go. Which side do you think the pig would go to? It would go to the slop every time. You know why? Because it's a pig. And that's a pig's nature. 
And that's how our relationship with sin would be. He said, if somehow you could snap your finger and turn that pig into a person, you know what that person would do? It would rear its head back. That slop it had been eaten would make it sick. It would be repulsive. It'd probably throw up and Lord help them. If that person turned around and saw you staring at them, they would be so ashamed and so embarrassed. And that's how our relationship, if you're a genuine follower of Christ, should be with sin. It should repulse us. Not that we won't sin, but when we do sin, it it should have a repulsing effect. Like the Apostle Paul says, greatest missionary to ever live, and yet Paul said, man, what is wrong with me? I'm so wretched. The things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. What is wrong with me? And that's how we ought to be. When we fall into sin, we ought to say, what is wrong with me? And it should shift our attention to our Savior. John writes this, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, here's some great news. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we say we have no sin, then we're we're mocking God. Why did Jesus have to die? And so it's not that a Christian will be sinless, but it's as Pastor Marty says all the time, it should mean that we do in fact sin less, right? A Christian still is going to fall into sin from time to time, but a true mark of someone in fellowship with Christ is that you're not diving headfirst into sin and celebrating it along the way. And so what Has your relationship with sin changed? I see it all the time. People say, hey, I'm a a Christ follower. Social media can be a great thing. It also is a great magnifier. And so often what you see is people claim to know Christ, claim to walk with him, and yet they, they will leave here today and they will intentionally and habitually continue in the same sin that they've been walking in. And sadly, many times celebrate that very thing as opposed to being repulsed by it. John goes on and he says, and by this that we may know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. Remember a couple weeks ago, Jacob was preaching out of this epistle, 1 John 2, and it says, and his commandments are not burdensome. And I want to be real clear that this right here is not an attempt to work our way into earning salvation. Again, it is by grace that we're saved, not of our works. But because of our salvation, it's an honor to follow his commandments. The psalmist writes in Psalm 1 that blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. He is like a firm tree are firmly planted by the water and his life produces fruit and its leaves never weary. Do you take delight in following his commandments or do they feel burdensome? This is a mark of a true follower of Christ. What about the things that you are attracted to? John writes this, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. 
For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. He says, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I feel like so often you look around and those who claim to be Christ followers, they are constantly pointing to something but it's not pointing to Christ, it's pointing to the things of the world, how to get rich, how to be more comfortable, how to get fame. And he says, these things are passing away. And so what is your focus on? Is it on the creation or the creator? A great test, evaluation is, do you prefer the creation or the creator? Which one do you prefer over the other? Third, final exam is has your love for people changed? It should if we're given a new nature. John writes, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. When he says brothers, he's referring to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, we should have a almost unexplainable love for one another. But not only our brothers and sisters in Christ, that new nature should change the way we love and view the rest of the world as well. When we see a lost world around us, our attitude should not be, you do you, YOLO, you only live once, you choose your path, I'll choose my path. It should never be nonchalant like that. Instead, it should be a compassion that comes from our gut. The Greek word is splagna, and it's that idea that, I mean, it's coming from like the deepest of your core. When you look out and you see a lost world, we should have compassion, we should have love, and we should also have love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus says how to love. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And not just love one another, but you love one another the way that I loved you. By the way, that's perfect love. And so when you see a lost world, how do you love? You love the lost world like Jesus loved you and me when we were lost. And that is right where we were while we were still sinners. And we love people right where they are. You are also to love one another. And by this, this is why it's so important, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So examine yourself, examine your heart. Do you have a genuine love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? for the lost, but for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Is love the motivator? That you serve one another out of love, not out out of obligation. That you pray for one another out of love. That you give to one another. If there's a need, you meet the need out of love. That you do life with one another out of love and not out of obligation. This is a mark of a true follower. Who do you say Jesus is? Has your relationship with sin changed? And has your love for people changed? How'd you do on the test? It's a tough test. And again, I was telling Marty, like if you were genuinely in fellowship with Christ, man, I want you to walk out of here with confidence and assurance in that faith. And I don't ever want to get on stage and scare somebody unless somebody needs to be scared. Because way too many people 
have a false sense of security and many will hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. And I promise you, we don't want a single person in this room to ever hear those words. There's a great quote that says, I thought about and thinking of this message, this is not exactly a message you make friends with, but it's a message that needs to be heard. And there's an old saying that if you throw rocks into a crowd, the one who screams is probably the one that got hit. And I can only imagine in a room this size, but this many people right now, there are probably some people screaming inside. I don't want any of y'all to hear the words, I never knew you. It is not enough to believe in Jesus The demons believe in Jesus. Jesus calls us to repentance and belief. To turn from ourself and to turn to him, making him Lord of our lives. That great pastor Spurgeon says, you know, people are a lot like deer. When they're wounded, they don't typically come forward to you. But a wounded deer retreats into the thicket. And I'm begging you this morning, don't retreat into the thicket. If God has been stirring on your heart this morning and shining the light on the fact that you have been walking in deception and he is drawing you to himself today, make the day, today, the day of salvation. Today, the day where you go from death to life. It'd be the greatest day of your life when you hear a message like this, if you're lost, so many people, they feel hopeless. They feel desperate. Desperate literally means to be without hope. And I am here to proclaim to you this morning, you are not hopeless. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And you can turn to him today. Man, we would love to talk to you. Come find Pastor Marty or myself. You can come to us during the next song. You can find us in the guest VIP room. If you're visiting with us today, we'd love to meet you in the guest VIP room after the service. Man, if God is stirring in you today, we would love to meet you and talk with you about that. It's one of the hardest tests we'll ever take, but it's also the most important test we'll ever take. Jesus, I'm so grateful that we do have hope and that hope is found in you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And God, while the things of this world are passing away, the, the fellowship with you is eternal. God, I pray that today is the day where people take that step of faith, repent of themselves and turn to you, believing in you, putting their trust in you, not as an add on God, but as Lord of their life. So I pray right now that you will do what only you can do. Draw people to yourself. I thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.